Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. We're about to get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the IKP Wednesday episode. <clears throat> Wednesday episode. I hope you guys are having a hope you guys started your week off pretty well. I know I did. Nice weather. Um, it's a, so much to talk about. Even with the conclusion of the NBA season, there is still so many talking points because we're going into the NFL training camp. Obviously, we got some big stories to cover. Aaron Rodgers. Um, so it seems like Aaron Rodgers will be back, and he will play. He will be a Packer this year. Deshaun Watson at least will be at training camp. Um. The Olympics, we got so much to talk about. The NBA draft. Um, so I'm really, I'm really, really excited. Uh, boy, oh boy. So and let's just let's first first and foremost, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope everybody listening is doing well. I am doing fine. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Like I said already, Wednesday episode. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. Hope you going. You hope you guys are doing fine. Shouts out to all the first time listeners. Shouts out to all the regular listeners. Uh, shouts out to everybody that's listening. Right. So, and let's start with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, because it, you know Aaron Rodgers seems like he's coming back to camp. Uh, and he, it, for all intents and purposes, it seems you know he's going to be playing for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, this year and. I know some of you guys, I know a lot of people, a lot, especially the Packer fans are probably excited and thrilled, but let's really get to the nitty gritty of this situation and what, and I already, I kind of already laid out the fourth, the, the foundation of what I think this season is going to look like for the Green Bay Packers, but I'm going to get, I'm going to do a little bit more of it as I talk about Aaron Rodgers showing up to training camp. And with that being said, I know a lot of people in the Wisconsin area are very happy. I know a lot of people within Wisconsin are very happy that Aaron Rodgers showed up uh, to Packers to the Packers facility for training camp, right? And on the previous episode, I talked, I laid, I basically laid out the financial foundation of if the Packers were to trade Aaron Rodgers, which I deemed it unlikely. Um, given in the fact, given the fact that we're so deep into the off season, and teams are getting ready for training camp and preseason, um, and they have already used their draft picks, obviously. So, so I, I already deemed it unlikely. But from the Packers' standpoint, it wouldn't make much. It wouldn't make much sense either with that thirty-eight million uh, in dead cap money that would be there. It didn't make it didn't make sense to trade him at this point. Uh, Cause you would only have re- like realistically probably one team, which is the Denver Broncos who would probably be willing to do a deal. But even with that, that that's still less. It's, it's just so many mountains. Like teams aren't just going to move mountains uh, in the, like prior to the regular season starting, just not going to happen. So Aaron Rodgers is, it, it, you know, he, he's going to play one more year in green Bay. Uh, this this season, at least, he's gonna play at least one more year in Green Bay. My personal opinion, I think this is gonna, I think this is gonna probably be Aaron Rodgers' last year as a Green Bay Packer. But for all parties involved, let's talk about it. Let's discuss it with all parties involved. Now, from a Packers standpoint, the Packers, 
I think they have to feel relieved. And let me tell you why. The Packers feel relieved for a couple of reasons. First, Aaron Rodgers, with Aaron Rodgers playing and him being under center, that means the Packers are going to be a really good football team. They've been, you know, they're going to be a really good football team. And they're going to be, I don't think they're the best team in the NFC, but they're going to be within the contending. They're going to be contending. They're going to be contending to try to win a Super Bowl, get out of the NFC, and win a Super Bowl. That that That's the goal when you have Aaron Rodgers under center. So I know the Packers, Brian Gunkus, and the Packers front office or, uh, you know, CEO group, who, who, however you want to chop it up, they're relieved about that. But also, this gives them another year to really look at and evaluate Jordan Love and see who they have as a quarterback. That's really what this is. Also, like Aaron Rodgers, he brings you some, uh, you know, some stability for now. And you know you're going to be contending, but also Jordan Love. This gives you another year to really, really evaluate Jordan Love because if you don't like what you can, if you don't like what you see, you can package him and try to move him. Um, but if you do, obviously you keep him. So this gives you another year to really do that if you're the Packers. So I think the Packers are a bit relieved, and you don't have to rush Jordan Love. And you don't have to put him on the center, right? From Aaron Rodgers' perspective, I think he is fine, at least. It seems like he's fine. I don't think he's in the best of moods. But Aaron Rodgers, this upcoming season, literally, he, he has leverage and he has flexibility. Literally, all Aaron Rodgers has to do is play at an Aaron Rodgers level. And that doesn't even have to be, like, he doesn't even have to win. Like, last year he won MVP. But he doesn't even have to win MVP this year. If he just plays at an Aaron Rodgers level, where it's like, he's like we can see that he's really good. At the end of the season, he's going to be 38 years old, and teams will be lining up to get Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, teams that are championship ready, right? Not just no... Sorry, team. Teams that are championship ready and ready to compete and are a in a quarterback away, they're going to be lined up for Aaron Rodgers. He can't get hurt, and I'm going to talk about that. That that's the worst case scenario for the Green Bay for for Aaron Rodgers. That's the worst case scenario, and I, I'm going to talk about that. And then from an NFL perspective, obviously the NFL is happy because Aaron Rodgers didn't retire. The NFL is just thrilled that one of their premier playmakers, which is who was Aaron Rodgers, one of their premier big money attractions, didn't leave and retire. Right? That so that that's a bit that's a win for the NFL. Now, like I, like as I already mentioned for the Packers, this 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 gives them another nine months to really really deep dive and evaluate. Jordan Love, a, a, a nine months that they wouldn't have had if Aaron Rodgers does not come back in play. So it, the just the, the whole thing of this, where the Packers, they, they it seems like they get the long end of the stick. Where Aaron Rodgers, worst case scenario, 
He gets injured at the end of the year. He's 38 years old in teams. They're in there. You know, the, the number of teams that would be lining up for him are not lining up for him because he had an injury at 38. So what I'm trying to get at is, is Aaron, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of positive Aaron Rodgers gets out of this situation. This is, this plays more into the Packers court. The Packers are the team. When Aaron Rodgers, if you know, when Aaron Rodgers plays this she, this season, they're going to be a really competitive team. They're going to be really good, and they're going to be competing and contending, at least for the NFC and in, in the NFC crown. I don't think they're the best team in the NFC, but they will be competing for it. It also this also buys them time. Think certain things. You, this is just very hard to buy. And time is one of those things that's very hard to buy. But the Packers have bought themselves more time with Aaron Rodgers coming back and playing this year. As I, I, as I talked about in the previous episode, if they would have traded him the, the, the resources and the assets that they would have got in return wouldn't be as good. The resources would not be as good. The, the, the assets would not be as good. The exchange would not be as good if you trade for Aaron Rodgers right now or around this time period. It just it, that that's just a fact. That's just a fact. And plus, you would have to face some some, some very steep financial circumstances as far as the dead cap money and so forth. So it just wouldn't make sense. But if you wait until the end of the season and Aaron Rodgers remains healthy and upright, you don't, you know, you can explore some options. But with Aaron Rodgers, as I'm so as with Aaron Rodgers, the reason why I think he gets a short end of a stick right here, okay, all Aaron Rodgers literally has to do is stay healthy and perform well. I'm not worried about Aaron Rodgers performing or not playing well. Aaron Rodgers will be Aaron Rodgers, I think. It's the fact that at 38, by the end of this year, he's going to be 38. And if Aaron Rodgers faces any type of injury, it's going to be a bit worrisome for the teams that are going to be lining up for him after this season. And I'm looking at Green Bay this year or going into the season. No Corey Lindsley at the center position. Corey Lindsley, one of the better centers in football, probably if not one of if one of the best, if not the best, one of the best centers in football. The Chargers gave him a record. They gonna they gave him a record, a historic contract. And then, if you guys remember, David Bakhtiari, he got he tore his ACL, but he got hurt in the middle of the season. So we don't know if he's gonna be fully healthy and ready to go at the beginning of the season. So he could miss time at the start of the season. So that's two offensive linemen, two all-pro caliber offensive linemen that the Packers could be missing. I mean, we all we we obviously know they're not going to have Corey Lindsley. But Bakhtiari, he, he may not start the season as well. And you're looking at the Packers' schedule it's a lot of ferocious defensive lines. 
So it's just not a great combination. So it's ve- it's a very risky chance and risky situation that Aaron Rodgers is playing with him being 38 next year, um, him not having the greatest offensive line, especially this. And this is so weird for Green Bay because Green Bay typically has a solid foundation at the offensive line position. They usually have a solid foundation at the offensive line position, but that is just not the case this year. So it's going to be very interesting to see. But Green Bay, all they did was buy themselves more time to figure out what they're going to do with the quarterback situation. And with Aaron, worst case scenario, he gets and and I'm not I don't want to wish I don't want to risk or wish I should say I don't want to wish injury on no one. I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to lay out the worst case scenarios throughout through Aaron Rodgers' perspective. And that's and that's the worst case scenario. Um that's just the fact. Him getting hurt this year, that's the worst case scenario f- for Aaron Rodgers in terms of his future looking you know, looking down the line if he wants to get traded or in free agency. So um, but that's my take. The Packers, they bought themselves more time. The Packers got approximately eight to nine months to frick to really figure out. Who they who in the hell Jordan Love is as a future as their quarterback, um, as a talent. Do they really want to go forward with the future with him? If so, then you prepare. If not, you can you can put him in some trade packages. But this is the time, and it and with Aaron Rodgers coming back and playing one more year, it gave the Packers more time. Simple as that. All right, so let's move on uh to the the Olympics, uh, Tokyo, you know, uh, that's been, uh, that's a big time story. Uh, we got two stories coming out of, uh, out of the Olympics that I do want to touch on, uh, Simone Biles and obviously team USA basketball. First and foremost, I think this Simone Biles situation, it's, I, it, I mean, it should be understandable for my, for my lens. Uh, I try to look, I try to look at sports, um, from a personal lens and just removing that, these are athletes. These are they're they're superior athletes um, than the regular person, but they still they're still they're still human. And Simone Biles, if you did not know, uh, it's major major headlining news. She withdrew um, from the Olympics due to mental health or stressful reasons, as they put it. Uh, at first, they were masking it as a like a medical injury, but she did come out and say she was very stressful. And I, for me, I absolutely have no problem with it. Uh, like, she's a great, she's great. She's the greatest. <laughs> she's the greatest. She's the GOAT at what she does. Um, and I must I must admit, I, I watch, I've been watching the Olympics here and there, watch some events. But when I was watching her events, uh, the you know Simone Biles and the and Team USA and gymnastics, you know every is I didn't I didn't realize the judging was so was so like so hard like those judges for the gymnastics they you if you're off just by one bit, it's a strike it's an error so. She has to. So the fact that these gymnasts not you know, not just her, but obviously she is she comes in with all of the spotlight on her, all of the eyes on her, because 
She's the most accomplished. She's done more than anybody has done in the sport. So I can only imagine that pressure that that's that's just weighing on her shoulders. Um, boy, oh boy. And then the fact that she has she takes months, months, months at a time to prepare for this. And every move, every step, every flip, literally, it has to be calculated. Um, like it's it, you have to be perfect. It's a perfectionist type of thing. So I, I completely understand. I have no problem with her doing that. Uh, it just reminds us that even with her superior talent, even with how freakishly athletic and God, like some people are just kissed by God with just athletic, like just athletic ability. She's one of those people kissed by God with athletic ability. And it just shows us that she is human. She does go through things. People D and these, these people do go through things. These athletes, they go through things as great as they are, as much adulation as they receive, they do go through things. So I have no problem with it. Um, I think it's also important to note that team USA, the gymnastics team as a whole they did finish with silver. You know, they didn't take home gold, but they did finish with silver. So I I completely, um, my you know, my thoughts go out with her. I hope she gets better. hope she gets well. Um, but her story is, is amazing. And we all know how well, like how accomplished and how great she is as an Olympian. Um, it doesn't get any better. But let me go to Team USA. Team USA, obviously they had their struggles and uh, you know, in, in in these exhibition games, they had their struggles, and a lot of people were, you know, were very worried going into, you know, group play. Team USA, they lost to France 83 to 76. And you know, a lot of people are talking about it and it's making news, and rightfully so. Uh a lot of people are criticizing and talk about the players. I I can't admit that this team, this particular team, Team USA, it's not our strongest team by any stretch of the imagination. This is not our strong. This is this is definitely not our best team. This I mean, when you look up and down the roster, like I think we got about ten All Stars. Uh, obviously, Javale McGee, um, Keldon Johnson, you know, so forth. So we still like. Compared to the world, the the rest of the world has two all stars. We have ten, so <laughs> you know this. But it, it's still this is still not our best team that we could have sent. Certain guys are older, like LeBron and Chris Paul, who usually participate, are older, and you know Chris Paul is just coming off a finals run and so forth. So I understand why those guys didn't participate and didn't want to do Team USA. But just think of like. A guy like Anthony Davis, who would be very useful, uh, very helpful to Team USA right now with his length and his and his defensive ability, right? But I think there's two things that I see with Team USA. The way how they're constructed is poor. Um, they were they were poorly constructed this year, like particularly this year. They this is not the best constructed team that we could have sent. But also, it's a topic that nobody really wants to touch on because a lot of people respect this guy around the league, but Greg Popovich. 
let let let's 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 call a spade a spade. Greg Popovich, and this is a point that I have been talking about. Um, you guys know how I, you know you. I've been talking about this point for a while on my podcast with Greg Popovich, but he's rigid. And I saw his comments after the after the loss to France. He was like, you know, we we you know he expect like so he was talk obviously he was talking to the media and the media was asking questions and he was like, you know, you guys keep dissing teams like France and you think we're just gonna beat them by thirty? Well. This is just hyperbole from Greg Popovich. And it's not, we didn't, nobody in their right minds, as far as if we're looking at a, from a, from a basketball sense, yes. Is Team USA better than France? We should be, yes. Um, their best player is Rudy Gobert. Our best player is Kevin Durant. Um, like we literally have Jason Tatum coming off the bench. Nope, but we didn't think we were going to beat France by 30. So when I hear Greg Popovich make these type of comments, I, I, I just think it's it's first very disingenuous, but it's also to protect him because I just, I just from, from, from me, from my perspective, I just don't hear a lot of people criticizing Greg Popovich about how the way Team USA has looked. With it being his first year coaching Team USA, and this has been a point that I've always made about Popovich, you can be rigid and stuck in your ways when you have players abiding by your rules and by your way. Because with Duncan and Ginobili and Parker, they bought in to your way. They bought in to your philosophy. But with the Spurs, as we're seeing, that stuff ain't working. It ain't working. What what Pop is preaching is not working. It's not clicking. And with Team USA, we I've seen I've we I've seen a report where players are a bit frustrated with the offensive system and the offensive scheme that Popovich is running. So, like. For the for Team USA, we obviously, from a basketball sense, because I watched the game, I watched a little bit of the game. From a basketball sense, Team USA, there we can, I think we can all I think we can all agree that they're missing size. Team USA lacks size. Um, they they, they like they they get crushed on the boards every time I watch. They get crushed on the boards, and that leads to second chance opportunities, which lead mm, excuse me, which leads to easier three-point shots because you look at those second you look at those second chance opportunities in those set in those in those offensive rebounds that often leads to open three open three-pointers so that's obviously an issue defense um side lack of size and lack of rebounding but also they don't have a true point guard uh the, the team usa is literally missing a true point guard that is looking to facilitate and get everybody involved, they're missing that. Um, so that's why I say they're poorly constructed. But Greg Popovich, and, and, and it's okay, but it, I, I, and I understand why people don't want to touch on it, but I was talking to somebody that I really trust, and we, were, we, have, really, we have really broke down Greg Popovich and his resume. And I don't want to turn this into a – um, uh, like I shit on Popovich because I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that right here, right now. But I do think 
this is a point where Greg Popovich is rigid. Um, he's stuck in his ways, and this philosophy of his, Duncan and Manu and Tony Parker bought into it, but these guys are not buying into it. They're not. They're just not. They're just not. And and you know, since Kawhi has left, since Duncan has left, he hasn't done much in the postseason. He's hell. He's missed the playoffs the last two years. He's missed the playoffs the last two years. So for me, I don't think. Uh, I don't. I don't think nearly. I don't think Greg Popovich is nearly getting enough criticism. Um, because I see a lot of people talking about Durant's legacy and so forth, but I don't think. I don't think Greg Popovich is getting enough criticism as far as how, like, what, what, like, this team doesn't have any defined roles. And a lot of that comes from coaching and so forth. So, I mean, I don't know what to say about, about Team USA. Uh, and, 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 you know, as far as what the, I don't think, I don't think they're going to win gold, honestly. This is honestly the first time where I'm thinking, I, where I'm very, I'm very skeptical of Team USA and them winning gold because I just don't see it happening. But just but just on a granular stage, this speaks to some of the issues that quietly go under the rug because Greg Popovich is respected in a lot of NBA circles. But if we're going to really have a real and true and honest conversation, this is what this is what a lot of people this is what a lot of people should be talking about with Greg Popovich rigidness not wanting to adapt we've seen coach we've seen the end where coaches don't have the same caliber of talent that they once had that they were winning with we've seen how this ends where rigidness doesn't work it doesn't work and we're seeing it right now with Greg Popovich. The rigidness gotta go, and it doesn't work. But um, Jerry Colangelo as well. I think he's done. Grant, I think I, if I'm not mistaken, Grant Hill is supposed to take over the team. Team USA. So this is probably going. This is definitely Jerry Colangelo's last year. Uh, you know, with Team USA. Um, but Greg Popovich. I'm and I'm not. I'm not trying to slander him, but it's it's just a fact. Uh, you know, he, 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 he despises rig rigidness and boastfulness, but that's literally what he has been displaying. Um, and you know, that saying like you become what you hate, like, yeah, like he hates it, but he's becoming that same thing. So I, I, I would just proceed with caution if I was Greg Popovich and he gotta, he gotta stop trying to make up these excuses you like nobody, nobody in the basketball world. If we're if we're being honest with ourselves, nobody thought Team USA was gonna was gonna beat France by thirty or forty points. But we did ex we did expect to we like we didn't expect to lose to France. But come on, we gotta we gotta beat France. That we we just gotta beat France. That's simple as that. Um, but enough with that. Enough said. Um, I also. Some people that I know that I trust, they have relayed to me and talked about the the Olympics and 
as far as like the the environment and the setup in Tokyo, not that it's not good. It's I heard it's very 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 hot um, there, but also just how like usually the Olympics. You know, these play like Team USA, they usually have a separate hotel. You usually don't see Team USA all like that. I heard the environment from a normal Olympics setting um, or, or a normal Olympic year or location. It's I heard it's very, very different this year. And the circumstances in the environment is not as good. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. The Olympics this year, as far as the environment and the setup of it compared to a regular Olympics year, it's just not the same. So that's also something to keep in mind. Uh, if you guys did not know that or were not aware of that, that's also something to keep note of, that the environment of this year's Olympics is not as good. Um, it's just not. It's just not the same experience. That's what I'm hearing. It's not the same experience of a regular um, Olympics year of an Olympic year, right? So that's also important to keep note of. And it's so funny about um, you know talking about Team USA because I was just talking to a buddy of mine's. Um, we were talking about you know the weaknesses of Team USA. Uh, obviously I mentioned rebounding, the lack of rebounding in size. They, they lack size and it's so funny. You look at all of the dominant big men, not even so much dominant, but even the big men that's just really skilled around the league. They're all foreign play. Like they're all foreign players. Like they're all, like all of them are foreign players. We, you know, you look at Jokic and Bede. Uh, Giannis, Rudy Gobert, like you look at all the star caliber or just big men that are really good, like just skill wise, like Nurkic is a really good skill guy. Uh, Cantor has really good skill. Uh, even DeAndre Aiden, he's from the Bahamas. So like you, you look at the, you look at our big, like the, the bigs in the league, a lot of them are international players, um, but I still think with Greg Popovich and Team USA, it's not our best team. But I, I do think there is something that should be said about Greg Popovich struggling with Team USA. Uh, I, I, it's something to be it's something to be said about that. I, I and that's why I brought it up. But um, we're about thirty minutes into the Isaiah Kid podcast. Um, Yep, we're about 30 minutes in. So since training camp has started, uh, I gave you guys my early NFC and AFC predictions. Um, I gave you guys those last week. Uh, like, I, like I said last week, I will come up with, I will have my official predictions right before the regular season, after the, after the um, preseason. But I'm going to give you guys... Going into training camp, my top 10 teams. My top 10 teams going into training camp. <clears throat> if you're a regular listener of the Isaiah Kid podcast, you know how this goes. Um, you Usually, I do this during the football season. After every week, I list my top 10 teams. I look at it as my own power rankings. That's the way how I look at it. 
I look at it as my own power rankings that I do on a weekly basis. I told myself, why not start it right now? Um, since we're getting into the groove of the NFL, um, in, into the NFL season. So let's start. I usually have me background music playing, but it's okay. The regular season's not here yet, so I don't got to do that. But at number 10, <clears throat> um, I'm going to go with the 49ers. I, I think the Niners, they, obviously last year they, they dealt with, they were injury riddled, like just literally injury riddled. Um, they dealt with a lot of injuries last year, but you know, you look at the ingredients that you need to to be a Super Bowl contender. The 49ers have a lot of those ingredients. They have a solid head coach uh in Kyle Shanahan, a really good head coach, in my opinion, is Kyle Shanahan, who he knows what it takes to get to the Super Bowl. You look at their offensive line, their defensive line, playmakers, you, they they have it. They have enough, they have the ingredients to make a Super Bowl run. I'm just not sure if Jimmy Garoppolo can stay healthy throughout the course of a 17-game regular season and then, you know, several more games in the postseason. So we'll see. But I do think the 49ers are a really good football team and should be uh, – I think they should they should be a really good football team playing in the playoffs. I got them at 10. <clears throat> at number nine, I have the Indianapolis Colts. Uh New quarterback in Carson Wentz. Uh, I do think he's going to have a bounce back season. It's going to be very, very hard for Carson Wentz to fail with the supporting cast that he has around him. Um, you look at the supporting cast that he had in Philadelphia. <clears throat> Philadelphia, older offensive line. Their offensive line became older, injury, in injury riddled. And expensive. You look at the pieces that they had on defense, they became old and expensive. And here in Indianapolis, Frank Wright, who Carson Wentz is very comfortable with, he had a really good season under um, under Frank Wright. You look at Indianapolis roster up and down, solid offensive line, probably one deep one of the one of the best offensive lines in football. Um, and they added Eric Fisher, so they, you know, they they just got better on the offensive line. Their D line is really good. So I think that you know, when I look at Indianapolis, I see a a, a power football team. They're gonna control the line of scrimmage. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is gonna be a big relief to Carson Wentz. So with that, I do think Indianapolis at number nine, rightfully so. Uh, we just got to see how Carson Wentz plays with Indianapolis. That that the quarterback play. That's all. That's the thing with Indianapolis. The quarterback play. Can they get consistent quarterback play from Carson Wentz? Um, at number eight, I have the L.A. Chargers. I'm I, I I'm really I, I'm really banking. I'm I'm putting a lot of stock into the Chargers this year. I they have now. I'm aware they have a rookie head coach and Brandon Staley. Um, we'll see if he we'll see how good he is. Um, Justin Herbert is going into his second year. Over the course of the last several years, we've seen second year quarterbacks have MVP caliber years. Um, so you know, I think Herbert is really good. I think Herbert, you know, he's gonna show he's gonna work his way into the top 10 as far as quarterbacks. But <clears throat> the thing with the Chargers has been can their defensive stars stay healthy? Um, you look at Joey Bosa. Um, you look at Joey Bosa. Look at Dern James. 
they have struggled to stay healthy. Now, when they're on the field, they're very productive and at and they're like arguably the best at their position when on the field. But that's been the problem. They're not always on the field, especially during James. So I, I hope I hope that Chargers defense can stay healthy. Um, they have they have they they added some really good pieces on the offensive line. Uh, a, a, a really uh, that was a real weakness last year. Their offensive line stunk. I expected to be a little bit better. Um, so I got the Chargers at eight. I think they're going to be a really good football team. They're going to be an exciting watch on both ends, on both sides of the football. Exciting watch. Um, at seven, I, I you know I'm really high on this team. I'm probably a little too high on this football team right now, but I'm gonna go with the LA Rams. I do think the um the Cam Akers injury is bigger than what people are trying to make it out to be. I think is I think it's that that's gonna be a really vital injury. And looking at the Rams depth at running back, um I just don't like how that shapes out for them. Uh and I know the way how the the type I know the style of football that Sean McVay tries to play as far as running the ball and being able to set up the running game and then the, the play action passing. So that's going to be a really, that's going to be something to lo- really look at with the Rams. Um, But I got them at seven. I still think they're going to be, they're going to be a really good football team trying to contend in the NFC. Um, But that Cam Akers injury is a big blow for me. Uh, at number six, I'm gonna go with the Ravens. I think the Ravens they improve their weaknesses. Um, they I, I always like to see teams of, of the Ravens caliber improve their weaknesses, and that was at the wide receiver position. Uh, Rashad Bateman, I think, was a really good pick for them. Uh, I think it's gonna be a really good fit, a, a fit for Lamar. It's what it's just what the doctor ordered. Um, I you know Baltimore I, I don't I don't worry about their defense historically they have had a a, a a pretty sound defense historically um Lamar he wins 80% of his games so I expect the Ravens to be the be, to be in the thick of the playoff conversation um and at number 5 I got the Browns um AFC foe AFC foe the Ravens I think with the Ravens and the Browns it's 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 all it's damn near a coin toss. It's what you like. It's what you want. It's what you prefer. I think both teams are like are equally as good. Um, with the Browns, I just see offensively they have more of an identity. I and and the Ravens do too, but they got some new pieces at the wide. Like I said, at the wide receiver position that they gotta get that they gotta get implemented with their style. But with the Browns, I see a team that also improved their weaknesses. Their weakness last year was their secondary. The Browns secondary they had they had a, they had some they had a couple practice squad guys back there. Some of it was due to injury and so forth. But the Browns secondary was 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 not that good last year. Um, they went out and addressed that. They got they they went out and got John Johnson from the Rams and Troy Hill from the Rams. So if they can get those guys implemented into that secondary, uh, I like the Browns. I think they're going to be a really, really good football team. They have a formula. They have a formula, and they stick to that formula, and it, it, it wins them a lot of games. Also, the Browns probably have the best offensive line in football as far as 
pass blocking and run blocking. One of the one of one, probably the best foot the, the best offensive line in football. So I got high hopes for the Browns. I got them at five. At number four, I got the Seahawks. Um, this is where I think, you know, it would neither none of these teams would surprise me. Um, but the Seahawks at four, I, I think they're a really good football team. They're top heavy. The Seahawks are very top heavy, and they have been top heavy for for the last several years now. Um, but they they added some nice pieces on offense. They added some pieces on. The, I like the Seahawks, and some people think I overrate them at times, but I like them. I think Seattle once again similar similar to Baltimore. They always find themselves in the thick of the playoff conversation and playoff race as far as you know contending teams. And I think Seattle would be right there. Um, at three, the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills. I, I, it would would it surprise me if the Buffalo Bills could take down the Chiefs? No, it wouldn't. I'm not predicting that. But the Bills are a really good football team. Last year, they went. They struggled to get to the quarterback. Um, hopefully, they they added Gregory Gregory Rousseau. So we'll see how that pans out. But I like I, I like the Bills. I like their roster. They have a Super Bowl quality roster. Um, they added Emmanuel Sanders on top of the talent that they already had at the receiver position. So that's just talent on top of talent. Um, that's probably that's arguably their strongest position, receiver. Um, so I, I like it. I think Josh Allen is going to be. He's going to show. He's going to have another year similar to what he had last year. Not saying not not, not saying the numbers are going to look like identical, but I do think you will see progression. Um, inconsistency, a form of consistency, because I know that a lot of people um, thought a lot of I know a lot of people think that the year that Josh Allen had last year was kind of a fluke. I think he's going to show consistent quarterback play um, and he's going to prove those people wrong that thought it was a fluke last year. At number two, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I think they're the best team going into the season. I think they, I think they're the best team in the AFC. Um, they, they rebuilt their off their They rebuilt their offensive line. Offensive line needed some retooling and it needed a, just a, a, just a youth movement. They got that. Um, I expect Kansas City, like I said, Kansas city will be a, barring any catastrophic injury. I think Kansas city will be right there trying to get out of the AFC and representing the AFC in the super bowl, it, you know, barring any catastrophic injuries. At number one, obviously, I got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got to respect them. Defending champions. They brung back all 22 starters. I, I, Me, personally, you guys know, I did not see that happening, but they did. They brought back all 22 starters on both sides of the football. Um, that, I think that's the first time a Super Bowl champion has brought back starters since 1979. Yeah, since 1979, that's the first time a Super Bowl champion Brought back all 22 talks, 22 starters. So I think Tampa Bay, they're gonna have a solid year. Um, they 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 brought back everybody, they brought back the coaching staff, they brought back the players. I think you got going into the season, you gotta rank them as the best team in football. So that is my top 10 teams within the NFL going into training camp. Once again, uh, I do this list, I do this, I do these, I do this top 10 list. Uh like on a weekly basis throughout the regular season in NFL. So, 
you know, you guys stay tuned to that. But uh, next up, I'm going to talk about who I think should be the number one pick in this year's NBA draft. All right, so um, I'm gonna close it out right here. Uh, I, I did. I do want to talk about um, the, the NBA draft coming up uh, this upcoming Thursday, Thursday, July the 29th. Because uh, I haven't done much draft content, it's just been so much content to talk about. Like I just haven't done much draft content, but I will give you guys. I was gonna break it down and talk about it a little bit here um, to to cap off this episode. Um, so. Uh, like I told you guys, I'm going to give you guys my take on who I think should be the number one pick um, in this year's NBA draft. Uh, I, I think I think this draft is really deep. Um, I, I don't I think a lot of people think there's a lot of generational players in this draft or quite a few. I don't necessarily think that. I think this draft is going to have obviously it's all stars, but I think this draft is it, it has a lot of glue guys, a lot of guys who will be able to play a role, a particular role um, on a team. On a, on, on, like, I think there are some guys in this draft that will be able to play roles for playoff teams. I think it's a lot of those. I think it's a lot of glue guys. That's what I mean when I say like a deep draft. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily as star heavy as some people try to make it out to be, but I think it is a very deep draft. After, like once you get past obviously the top tier players in the lottery, I do think there are some players that'll be in the in, you know that that'll go in the mid to late first round who will be able to contribute immediately to their franchises. But my, my I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal my top three picks and I'm gonna give you guys why. Uh, so I think Jalen Green is going to be the number one overall draft pick of the Detroit Pistons. That's just my take. Uh, I know some people think Cade Cunningham uh, is going to be the number one pick, and, you know, he's he's been touted as that uh, since the college basketball season, you know. But I think Jalen Green, which are, for me, for me, if I'm Detroit, I'm looking at a guy in Jalen Green athletically, is athletically he's a he's a generational talent Af, just athletically generational talent eye popping athleticism very very springy like like i've watched he's very springy eye popping athleticism he brings nothing but excitement um but when, you, when you're getting a two guard and i'm not sure on the upside of killing hayes Hopefully he'll get his he'll get his his time to show like what kind of player he's gonna be. Uh, I know some people are really really low or not that. Or I know some people that's not that high on Killian Hayes. So we'll see how that we'll see how that works out and how he develops. But to play, but I'm looking at Detroit's roster it with Sadiq Bay, Jerrion Grant. They have good forward play. Uh, now you need a shooting guard, a two guard, a guy who is going to be able to put the bucket, to put the ball in the bucket consistently. And Jalen Green brings that. Jalen Green, I think, is going to be one of the more premier scores in this year's draft. He, I think he's going to be a guy. He's a guy 
that can come in and get buckets. In the G League, he averaged 17 points per game. Um, in, a, in the G League playoff, he I think he had like 30 points in one of those games. So he's a guy who's going to automatically be able to thrive offensively if you need him to. Um, it, it, he, he's a star. He, he has a certain swagger about himself that I really like that screams star power and that screams box office. And that's another thing you, we gotta, we gotta think of the business acumen of the game and the business side of the game, because when you're on like, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes people think too much about the business side of the game. But I think Jalen gives you a combination of both. He has the skill on the floor to prove it, but then he has the the wow factor, the cool factor, and this swagger about himself that screams box office. And Kay Cunningham, I think, is the safe pick. But if you're the Pistons and you're trying to hit a home run, Jalen Green is the way to go, in my opinion. In my opinion, I think Jalen Green is the way to go. Um, so, you know, when I, when, and I'm thinking when I look at him, obviously I talked about his athleticism, but I, I know his trainer and I don't want to name drop, but I've heard his trainer. I've I, I like, I've heard his trainer have conversations about his worth ethics and how tenacious of a competitor he is. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna completely unveil the things that I heard his trainer talk about and, com and compare him to, but Jalen Green is a workaholic. He works on his game, and I think that showed. His, shoot his jump shooting got better. His ball handling, being able to create space, it, it, it has gotten better. And when I'm looking at two premier two guards in the league, I'm looking, obviously, Clay Thompson. We haven't seen Clay Thompson in a couple years. But I'm thinking on the lines of a Zach Levine, Bradley Bill, those guys. Remember, those guys at the age of 18 and 19 years old, I don't think they were this polished skill-wise. I just don't. I don't think they were this polished skill-wise. So that's what you're getting from Jalen Green. But I've heard I've 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 heard his trainer have conversations about. Jalen Green's work ethics and how Jalen Green is a tenacious competitor. He has that mumba, like he has that same competitive spirit of the lines of a Kobe Bryant. Now, mind you, I'm not saying he's Kobe Bryant, but he has that same competitive spirit, that same drive. That's what I've heard from his trainer. Um, but Kay Cunningham, I think at number two with the Houston Rockets, I think that's a good fit. Kay Cunningham, like I said, like I said, for the number one pick, Kay Cunningham is a safe pick. I think Jalen Green's a home run pick. But Kay Cunningham, I think you're getting uh, a big uh, a, a dual forward. Uh, shout out to Rashad Phillips, a dual forward who 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 has I think I don't I, I, his playmaking is really good. I've heard people say elite playmaker. I'm not sure if he's an elite playmaker because he only averaged three and a half assists at Oklahoma State. And I know sometimes you got to look past the numbers as far as playmaking. 
but I'm I'm not sure if I'm gonna say elite. He's a really good playmaker. He makes the right basketball plays, but I'm not sure if he's an elite playmaker. Um, but he 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 bring he's gonna bring stability. Um, he's gonna bring a certain balance that I think Houston really really needs. He's a Texas kid, so I think all of this correlates really well. Uh, I think I think K Cunningham to Houston is a really good fit. And also, with I know I know and I know Houston really really wants K great really they really want K Cunningham. So I think um I, I I would like that fit for him. Um, I seen some comparisons like Grant Hill. Uh, I seen a Luka Doncic comparison, which I'm not a fan of. Uh, I I just don't think K Cunningham is that good. Like his I don't think he's that polished as skill wise. I think Luka's on a, just on a different level. Uh, he did K Cunningham. He shot forty percent from three, which typically college players three point percentages drop a bit. They tend to drop a bit. So we'll see if that can translate. But he's not the most athletic guy. That's what kind of worries me. He's not the most athletic guy. So that's where I'm a bit taken aback when I keep hearing generational, generational. Because being because being a generational type player or type talent, it has to come with some form of generational athleticism. Or so of, so I don't know. You got I, I don't know. I let the, I let you guys be the judge of that. But K Cunningham at two, and then at three, I'm gonna go Evan Mobley. I really really like Evan Mobley. I mean, I've heard people make the argument that Mobley. If we weren't if we weren't living in such a guard and wing centric NBA today, Mobley as a seven footer with his skills, Mo- Mobley might be the best prospect. That's the argument that I've heard from certain people that I respect, and I'm not mad with that take. I think he's very skilled. He reminds me of a lot of Chris Bosh. Uh, uh, he reminds. I see a lot of Chris Bosh in 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 Evan Mobley. Um, skills on the perimeter. He's able to handle the ball. Um, skills on the interior, offensively and defensively. He's a really good rim protector. He has a nice stroke for a big guy. Like I said, skilled with both hands. I when I when I see Evan Mobley. I see a bigger version of Chris Bosh. That's what I see. A bigger version of Chris Bosh. Um, and I think the Cavaliers, you pair that up with Jared Allen. Um, I think Mo- Mobley is able to play the four and the five. Maybe better suited at the four, despite him being seven feet. Maybe. Maybe he's better suited at the four, but he can play either or. Um, and I think it makes sense. You, you know, they are Cleveland already got Darius Garland. Um, they got Colin Sexton for now. We'll see how that, we'll see how that translates. But so I don't think Cleveland should go guard. I think they should definitely go big with Evan Mobley. Um, and Kevin Love, he's clearly out of it. Like all, all respect and love to Kevin Love. Um, and that's no pun intended, but Kevin Love, you know, he's a salary dump at this point. So, I do think Cleveland should go Evan Mobley, and those those would be my top three picks in order. Um, Jalen Green at one. I feel like for Detroit, 
He's going to sell tickets. He's going to have a box office appeal. He's going to be a guy that's going to be able to score the basketball. Um, and I think his skills along with his athleticism, his eye popping athleticism, his skills, his skills have developed. His jump shooting have developed along with that. So with that combination, I think he should go number one, K Cunningham at two, and then Evan Mobley at three. That's who I think. Um, I just thought I'd give you guys that because I know the draft is this Thursday. Obviously, you guys won't hear my voice until Saturday again. Um, but with that being said, I'm going to end this episode right here. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, always remember two choices, one decision. Uh, I will be back on Saturday. Make sure you guys have a safe and sound uh, rest of the week. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate you guys continuously listening to my podcast and spreading my podcast means a lot. I truly, truly do appreciate it. Um, but I, without further ado, I'm gonna let you go. Peace, adios, deuces, enjoy. I see you guys later.